0: I'll get to have some breakfast, some yoga. Great. Great this collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quite a light today, this today, isn't it? Isn't that something? Smoke Crofton, Vancouver Air. Uh, let's start with a uh, declaration of uh, declaration and prayer uh, for uh, the activity of the Enlightenment mind. Not just a wish, but an activity. Thus, until I achieve enlightenment, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. Until death, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. From now until this time tomorrow, I perform virtuous deeds with body, speech, and mind. And let's take refuge in the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Sange, Chodang, Sukhi, Chukna, Bla, Jinja, Badu, Dagni, Chapsu, Chi, gi pa Gipa, Sonam, Ki, Drola, Pancha, Sange, Drupa, Shu. In the Buddha the Dharma and Sangha most excellent I take refuge until enlightenment is reached by the merit of generosity and other good deeds may I attain buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings In the Buddha the Dharma and Sangha most excellent I take refuge until enlightenment is reached by the merit of generosity and other good deeds may I attain buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings okay. Actually one more let's let's also say very important and also uh, how this text opens today is the four immeasurables without them, uh, without the practice of the four brahmihars, the four immeasurables um, uh, there's, there's no attainment there's no, um, there's no awakening so let's, let's say that together may all mother sentient beings boundless as the sky have happiness and the cause of happiness may they be liberated from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they never be separated from happiness, which is free from sorrow. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion. Good. That sets that sets our intention, our pure intention. That's pretty good. So when the when the Ami's will uh, launch right, and when the text says, uh, and I'll read to you um, the four foundations in, in a little in in while. The four foundations, common foundations to all schools of Buddhism. Uh, when we read that out loud, the four foundations, and it says, uh, "Happiness has never been seen." Which, for I know, for a number of Westerners have told me, that's weird. Like to Western Western mind, when it says, "No happiness has ever been found in all the different uh, realms of cyclic existence," they go, "That's a preposterous idea for this culture." But actually. Uh, what it means is a happiness free of sorrow. Our happiness is mixed with sorrow. Our happiness is mixed with friction. Our happiness is with, mixed with conflict. And my experience is, I'll just just share this with you, is until one does a sufficiently deep retreat for a Westerner. Now, what I mean by Westerner is that it even means an Easterner or anybody on this planet growing up in a modern age who is so busy that the microscopic friction of a day is hidden. Because most people in the world, give me me an example. Um, There are millions. um, Tina, you may actually have the statistics available there, but I used to know them, or John. But there are millions, tens of millions of people that actually don't get adequate food that are suffering because of food alone there are 5 billion people on this planet that can't get any health care uh, and we're living here even if we're on welfare we're living like in a godlike realm but until we do a retreat or in advance where we can see the microscopic fraction of a second irritability and friction and anxiety due to not having a happy object, we are not going to realize suffering. We are not going to realize the First Noble Truth. There's no way. So uh, this statement of uh, happiness which is free of sorrow is until one actually sees that there's a tremendous amount of friction, anxiety, even terror hidden, um, in the moment where one doesn't see it, because one is engaging in a duality and an object engagement to be happy. That is where the sorrow is, is not knowing what the organism is doing all the time, which is trying to get out of a situation which is frictional. Does this make sense? Irritating. So dukkha. Irritating. Frictional. Frictional. So uh, we, like all peoples, always have, doesn't matter which culture, then uh, grasp onto an object of self or other to bring you temporarily, bring oneself temporarily out of that um, dukkha, which can be joy too. And then it swings. So this is, this is a very deep point. May they rest in equanimity, free from attachment and aversion, or running away more on that. So uh, starting on page, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but page 5, don't even consider the ephemeral happiness which results from birth in the higher realms. The higher realms are three, three higher realms, and I'll Get into more detail a little bit later. This is the introduction, but there are six realms described in classic Buddhist cosmology. And actually, they're really good, it's a great model. Is the godlike realm, of which is divided into 32, 16, many subdivisions of godlike realms. Blissful, happy beings of light, beings that you don't normally see. Actually, in the room right now, couldn't even see them if you tried. They're so transparent, they're so um, different than our cognitive uh, experience. And the demigods, which are always chasing after something to be happier. But they're godlike, but they just want more. Familiar? And then we have the human realm, which can actually have all different kinds of realms in it at any given time but we fluctuate all over the place but normally speaking in the human realm we chase after mental and so-called physical objects all day long hearing tasting touching sensing and uh, these higher realms of the human the demigods uh, we call also called the shuras and godlike realms even in those so-called happy states True happiness, right? As opposed to temporary, momentary happiness. When you buy a product you like and you go, "Wow, it's great!" Or you watch a television program and you turn to a channel and go, "Ah, oh, that's cool!" Uh, or you meet someone and you go, "Oh, that's that's wonderful!" Uh, they're not talking about that kind of happiness. So we need to really be clear about what the word happiness is here. I'm not talking about momentary happiness. We're talking about innate natural unborn happiness that requires no pumping up requires no object of gratification other than how the mind naturally is in its freest open clear compassionate sense does that make sense to you that's what dharma is about so you're not going to get an object out of this there's no product that you get you're not purchasing a product. You are not going to purchase liberation. You're going to uncover liberation because it's already present. That's just the way it is. And then leaving, uh, starting where we left off last night, uh, moreover, whatever accumulations of merit and wisdom we may have, whatever we've done in our lifetime and previous lifetimes the root of spiritual development in the Mahayana in the great vehicle the six perfections which is what we perfect in the great vehicle and non-abiding Nirvana which is another term for full Buddhahood and so on is simply the arousal arousal the generation the upwelling of bodhicitta so there's a lot in that paragraph there's 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 days of teaching in that paragraph so i'll try to be quick there as i said in vancouver and and i more recently there's only two things that you're going to do in the entire path of liberation how's that for straightforward two things you can do We're going to accumulate merit because we need gobs of it. We need mountains and mountains of merit. And we're going to accumulate wisdom. Not really accumulate wisdom. We're going to stack up what we have buried by uncovering. So it appears that we gain experience and wisdom, but we don't. We purify and, uh, this is actually a technical name, stack up moments of insight, wisdom by revealing the wisdom that's already present that makes sense. It's very important very important um, point now what is merit in Sanskrit the word is punya uh, sorry in punya or in Pali is punya um, that word uh, is a difficult word it, it is often translated as strength that's a great translation it means your total accumulation of good wholesome strength mind speech body that you can apply to any task if one is coming into a study week I'll give you an example if you're studying at university and you're sick let's say you're 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 suffering from the flu in your first two weeks or you're, you're suffering from a a serious illness in your first month or two months of university, you may actually not be able to complete that year. Does this make sense? The mind is too busy, distracted, and the energies are too taken up with the illness. So too, uh, in the practice and the unfolding of Dharma, if a person is weak in its Good wholesome states, clarity. Uh, confused mind is too strong. Uh, could be a physical illness as well. Uh, too deeply troubled, confused. Too many heaped up on wholesomeness. There's just no way to practice. So, as as my beloved teacher Antoine Boucher said not long ago here. Uh, we all no matter who we are short of Buddhahood need heaps of merit because uh, to unfold Buddhahood requires great strength so a lot of the path is building strength just build strength build strength all the way until Buddhahood we build strength we build strength if we if we have unwholesome mental speech, physical activities. It wears away and tears away at our energy, sometimes our health, our mental health, but the confusion level and the distraction level and the anxiety level is too high to actually practice and study. It's simple, eh? It's really just simple. As a matter of fact, if it's too high, Uh, One can't hear the Dharma. Uh, If it's too high, one is actually always confused about the Dharma. If it's too high, one will never actually get to meditate because one's busy doing other things, and so on and so on and so forth. So, merit, this text is mostly building merit, but in union with building or revealing wisdom. Fantastic. And that is called the root of spiritual development in the Mahayana, the great vehicle of Dharma. And if you read footnote 40, you'll see that Mahayana is uh, liberation uh, not only for yourself, but in conjunction with all sentient beings. Remember, not just humans. The art is all sentient beings have Buddha nature. If it's intelligent, and uh, it's lovely to hear the 17th, di- uh, 17th karma recently, last few years saying all life, not just the ones we can see. He's modern, eh? Must have looked through a microscope, that was, or, or has some science. All life is intelligent, highly intelligent. Doesn't mean it's capable of Buddhahood. It's highly intelligent at whatever it's doing. And maybe even way more intelligent than we are at what it does. But maybe not with the capacity to self reflect. So all sentient beings is what we're on about. And then the, there's a comma, and it says the six perfections." And some of you are some of you quite new to, to Buddhism Buddha Dharma. Yeah. So may not know these terms. The six perfections uh, are absolutely fundamental, no matter where you get them. This is the five, uh, five of the six are merit. The sixth one is wisdom so a generosity if you want to write these down if you forget the list uh this is a list that one should um stamp on one's forehead Aaron, you have the stamp yes the six paramitas stamp and you just go out and go but then you wouldn't see it would you tattoo artist yeah reverse script yes thank you should be right 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 here is generosity Uh, practicing generosity, which is relative generosity, then there's absolute generosity. Relative generosity is learning to give, give, give intelligently. Not stupidly. Intelligent giving. To the point where there's eventually there's no giver, there's no receiver, and there's no gift. Transcendental giving. And all you're giving is liberative giving. For liberation. 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 Even if it's hidden. Uh, Then there is uh, ethical or virtuous activity, which we must train in to a high degree, uh, is unbroken activities that do not harm or denigrate or damage the movement for oneself and others towards uh, liberation. This is not do-goodyism. This is not being a do-gooder. It's not even being kind. It's simply such a level of clarity that one sees the damage one does to uh, oneself and others, and clears that up. Uh, the next one is patience. Actually, energy is the next one. It depends which order, but uh, energy, having bound, boundful energy, lots and lots of energy to apply oneself to the path. Hmm? So you can see some people you know, not you, not nobody in this room. But some people in the room, or some people uh, you know, your friends, slip of the tongue, uh, are are missing enough energy to actually even do retreats or even uh, concentrate for more than a couple hours. Some people today wouldn't be able to sit here for an hour uh, and 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 at all be comfortable. So, um, or uh, meditation or even yoga is extremely difficult. So. Energy, getting out of bed. Some people can't get out of bed till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes? So we need energy. We need free, open energy for ourselves and others. And diligence is in there. Joy. Real joy. And then the next parami, uh, which I believe is number four, yes? Number four is patience. We need gobs and gobs of patience, mountains of patience. And the more patience we have, I don't mean neurotic application or neurotic sustaining power but the ability to sustain oneself and others in a study and unfoldment which is the antidote or the opposite of anger is patience as patience goes up anger goes down if a person doesn't have patience it means they're irritable and they actually lack Uh, love the equation ancient equation so if you get asked to do something for two or three hours and you go I don't want to do it just remember there is a lack of love there it's about you I I don't want to do it it's bugging me because it's not what I want to do that's the whole point we're perfecting uh, liberation and then the fifth is meditative concentration, which is the ability to have an easeful, relaxed, open, spacious concentration on any kind of object at all. Not just the object that we want, but any kind of object internally or externally to us in an unbroken duration. That is called samadhi or, or jhana in Sanskrit. which is the origin of the word uh, Chan, or Zen, is unbroken concentration. And then number six, the paramis, or the perfections, is wisdom, actual insight into the nature of what is real and not um, manufactured by fantasy, or manufactured by cultural or internal stories. And and not particularly for instance, you might say, well, it's relativity theory or something like that. Not, nothing. To, it's actually um, not theoretical. It is uncovering that which always works, no matter what situation. And we're talking about liberation of sentient beings into Buddha nature, uh, not solving, for instance, uh, quantum mechanics equations or something and saying, okay, this is reality. But it's actually about... The liberation and freedom uh, of beings so that's the six perfections in I think about six minutes which is often given in over days and days and days of teaching anybody uh, everybody okay with that yeah very deep teaching without the six perfections one doesn't liberate we are always and everything we do. All teaching of Dharma is perfecting the six perfections. Even if one practice is, even if one practices formless Atiyoga, Zogchen and Mahamudra, and it says one dispenses with the foundations because we're now in the nature of non-dual mind. You don't get there unless you have you're resting on the perfections. So you see, what Guru Rinpoche said is you can't leap. You can't leap to Zogchen, that is, formless uh, contemplation of reality, without first resting on the perfections. You can have some experiences. You can read the text. You can hear the discourse. But it's not necessarily that. We need the perfections. And then uh, there's a comma, and it says... Uh, translated as non-abiding Nirvana so normally we see the word Nirvana which means uh, burning out burning off that's the literal translate that's a literal translation of Nirvana is Nirwa which is burning the burning out of the fires the extinguishing of fire that's really what it means and that's the fire of passion which is emotional raging of greed, hatred, um, greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, and a, a sixth one which is ignorance about reality. The burning off of that is liberation. So when when we when you see the English word passions, it's a bit old-fashioned because words change over ten or fifteen years. I have to keep watching this, how I use words. Uh, every 10 or 15 years, people have a reaction to a certain word. and They go, I don't use that. I don't, I don't like the way you're using that. Well, actually, 20 years ago, that was fine. 30 years ago. But, but when, we, when we talk about passion, we mean passion that harms or interferes or obscures. Not passion of life. Not passion of awakening. See? If you look at the word compassion, compassion, passion's in there it's communication passion that's fine passion for communication passion for uh, being able to communicate freedom and liberation so this is a form this is a form of non-abiding cessation it's not extinguishing it's not seeking peacefulness and staying in peacefulness it's a non-conceptual quality that requires no basis other than the naturalness of the universe the way it is which means it will spontaneously act out of compassion for the needs of beings for what they need resting in a total understanding of freedom so that's this this is the non-abiding nirvana is another term for buddhahood full buddhahood they don't use the word nirvana because it's in mahayana terms it refers to peacefulness no go it means you've attained cessation of no more emotional discomfort and you're now you are now resting at peace but that's the end and it's not the end because it doesn't lead to fruition of full buddhahood and then he says, and so on. In other words, it could go on for, for days about these things. And then most profound statement is simply the arousal of bodhicitta. So he's saying all these different spiritual qualities rest on one thing, the enlightenment mind. So the equation, if you wish, you want to have a mathematical equation in Mahayana, is Bodhicitta Enlightenment Mind. Bodhi enlightenment uh, a is mind enlightenment mind which is the union of compassion and liberation for all sentient beings is none other than full Buddhahood. so we arouse not so keen you know I think arouse when 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 Ken translated this perfect today no he might not as he says it was challenging every time he's translated it's challenging it's about every 15, 20 years. Which word are you going to pick? But he probably picked today something like simply the generation or the flowering, the, bloss- the natural blossoming of bodhicitta. That's what we're doing. We uncover bodhicitta by practice and study. We don't actually, we don't actually create it. It's there. It's free. There's, you can't purchase bodhicitta. It might cost you a lot of money, like good medicine, but you can't purchase it. You can't bribe out bodhicitta, but you can entice it out. How do you entice it out? Study, reflection, hearing the Dharma, uh, memorizing, writing, making notes, debating, uh, reflecting, contemplating, and meditation. So that's how we, that's how we squeeze it out hydraulically. It bodhicitta arises on the basis of love and compassion, on the foundation, the base. Without love and relative compassion, there is no base in dharma. So you see that the Dalai Lama, especially the fourteenth Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who just had his birthday. I actually his 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 Western birthday is coming up. His his. Eastern birthday was just celebrated. His 80th birthday. Um, So we're going to celebrate his birthday. And on the 9th of this month, we can also celebrate uh, His Eminence Antrim one of my uh, root lamas, his birthday on the 9th. So this basis of love and compassion is a a, a training that we all must do we must perfect and perfect and perfect and of course some of you may not have had teachings on this and some of you have so it's it's good to review this love is not an affectionate love affectionate love is not bad but it doesn't actually lead to liberation the love that we're talking about is a love that has a wish to support and nurture and sustain and make sure that all uh, sentient beings are cared for and unharmed but have the opportunity to become uh, awake so it's not teaching liberation it's supporting things like good food So if you uh, love beings, you will try to make sure that the birds, the insects, the squirrels, the humans, the gods, the demigods, the hungry ghosts, the hell beings, are all being nourished in the way that they need to be nourished. Squirrels like sunflower seeds. The rest they leave behind. Unless they're desperate. Raccoons love roasted barley tormas this I, I know they absolutely relish roasted barley tormas um very thrushes really like roasted barley tormas if you put roasted barley tormas out the very thrush go right out and will take off a huge hunk and fly away Junkos? just about everything so this love is the caring for sentient beings to support them in what in what gives them health and vitality and wellness and happiness but not necessarily liberation but it's the basis that means a kindness that is intelligent and relative compassion is a little bit more Relative compassion is setting up the environment, the stage, which could be food, could be health, could be medicine, that uh, allows for the ripening of ultimate bodhicitta, ultimate liberation. So this has become very confused. Uh, It's kind, compassion is kind, but it doesn't mean it's always peaceful. It can be very strong. It can be peaceful it can be powerful it can be a mountain of treasures that's one of the Buddha wisdoms and it could also be utterly a raffle to uh, to interfere to stop that which is causing uh, harm so um, this basis we need in ourselves and then we need to apply to uh, all beings okay That doesn't, that doesn't exclude affection. You can be as affectionate as you want, but remember that affection uh, is appropriate in certain cultures, inappropriate in other cultures. It's very cultural. And uh, affection is not what they mean here. It's not bad, but it may be, as they've always said in texts from the Buddha's time onward, over-affection, even over-affection to uh, other sentient beings Uh, may cover and interfere with a boundless love and a boundless compassion. So this is love and compassion for all sentient beings without exception. Even when full Buddhahood is attained, there is nothing to do except to work for the welfare of others With non-referential or non-dual compassion so we normally start in the Dharma wishing I want to be free it's called Hinayana technically that's called Hinayana I want to be free can I can I get can I become enlightened depending on who you study with what you encounter due to to karma due to uh, activity Uh, then uh, some teachings will pull you out of that view quickly or or over the long term to ripen you and realize that, in fact, the actual contemplations of insight are leading you to a non-referential, non-dual wisdom-compassion, which is the effortless serving of all sentient beings in liberative activity, not kind activity. Liberative activity leads to liberation. That's non-dual. Relative compassion does what? Sets the stage and the foundation for liberation. Ultimate compassion teaches directly what needs to be done for liberation. How does one liberate? Those are called ripening instructions or liberating instructions. This is a quick tour of the entire scope of Buddhism. This, that's the introduction. True ultimate bodhicitta true ultimate enlightenment mind will not arise in the course of experience of beginners there's a very direct statement this is not this is not modern we're not allowed to do this anymore you wouldn't do this a teacher You say no you know you're all going to be able to do this no this is just fact is uh, if you get frustrated and lack patience because you haven't attained ultimate bodhicitta in this week uh, that's because as a beginner, it's not going to happen. Um, you're, if you're waiting for the mystical experience to dawn, there must be causes. Uh, causes and effect. Um, so, we need to train. But we can use the words, and because we often use words, we think we have the experience. So if we say, I'm experiencing compassion, it may be compassion, it may, but it may not be. Ultimate uh, compassion. I'm not actually keen on the word ultimate at all. I'm not not because we live in a democratic society. I'm not not one bit. Um, I prefer um, instead of ultimate. I prefer pristine, pristine, innate, natural uh, compassion. There's a difference. Ultimate means that you're not going to even have a taste of it, really, until full Buddhahood. Do you know what I mean? That's not true. A a person that experiences even the first foundation, the first Bhumi of the Bodhisattva stages, has experienced the full taste of Buddhahood. They don't know it, but they have. And from that point onward, that's what's leading their life. Then they unfold the full perfection of it so ultimate yes but maybe today is is better not because we're trying to um, help help not not make it equal but I would prefer the natural pristine innate Bodhicitta compared to a relative Bodhicitta based on cultural cultural beliefs and support that is temporary of a high order but actually doesn't experience reality. Do, do, do you see the difference? This can take a long time to understand. The word compassion is used so often today, even um, places where there's smoke houses for marijuana I saw one the other day, Compassionate Buddha. It didn't say Dope Den. What did it say? (laughs) Oh, Buddha, Buddha Barn. Barn. So, but it had the word compassion in there. So the word compassion, like the word Dharma, is being used all over the place. So now we're gonna, and eventually we're gonna have Tulku Restaurant or uh, Nirmanakaya Eatery. Uh, No, really, it's happening. Or you know, instead of Nike shoes. Compa- Nike Compassion shoes for fast Compassion running. No, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm not. I'm I'm joking, but but actually it is happening because when these words like the word empowerment, uh, I was fortunate to be around when that word got introduced. When the Tibetans, the word it wasn't a new word, but when the um, Tibetan lamas came over in the early 70s, they we there was a word that needed to be translated for Wangkor. And the word that was picked was empowerment, which is, which is a little translation of the Tibetan word wongkur, to empower, to give power. Not initiation, to give power. It was only about five or six years after that that we saw the introduction of empowerments in corporations. All through government, I saw it because I lived through that, everywhere, the, everybody, everywhere everybody was being empowered. And empowerment ceremonies. So, so we're like that in our culture. We we like to take a word and use it for everything. Um, the empowerment coffee, the compassion coffee, the compassion bar. This is this is uh, unfortunately hides profound meaning, and, and so on. It also hides training the belief that the word is the understanding, it's not true. You, you know the difference, eh? Uh, data is not understanding. Data? Do I sound like Dr. Spock? Yeah, I do. Sharpers. They still point through the hat. But um, data, information, is not understanding. You probably teach us in social. Do you teach us in social studies? You will, okay. But uh, having data is not Understanding. Having a book is not understanding. Having words is not understanding. Training and uncovering deeper and deeper layers through time, through practice, is understanding. True ultimate bodhicitta will not arise in the course of experience of beginners, but relative bodhicitta will definitely arise if they train in it. So today we use the word compassion as if we all have compassion. Or we all know compassion. They're saying no. We need to train in compassion by understanding what it means and actually working at it. Which is a major message of the Dalai Lama. Over and over and over again. Train in compassion. Train. It's a muscle that needs to get built. And uh, that muscle... Uh, if it's good science, maybe, that muscle uh, can be seen in certain MRI studies and uh, built. There's some, actually some very good studies especially the work that Matthew Ricard is doing with some uh, cognitive scientists and neurophysiologists in uh, relative and ultimate compassion and love and where what's really happening. It's a beautiful research. With the development of relative bodhicitta, ultimate bodhicitta will be realized naturally. Isn't that something? So even if one has profound experiences of insight and wisdom into emptiness, if one doesn't train in relative bodhicitta, then ultimate enlightenment doesn't uh, fruit. It doesn't happen. In theory it does. In practice, all through thousands of years, it simply doesn't happen. That's cool. It's always been a mystery. You can reach the heights of meditative insight, and bodhicitta just doesn't dawn naturally. It must be imparted by transmission. It's really neat. You see in these most amazing texts some of the yogis that go to their teacher and sing songs of the most incredible realizations of emptiness, and the teacher goes, nice you got the same realization I have, but you've missed uh, the Dharma. You simply don't know how to take care of beings. I don't? No. What's taking care of beings? The ability to ripen them into that experience. Otherwise, compassion is missing. So when you, uh, this is just a uh, side important side note when you read in many texts or you practice tantric meditation or you study Mahamudra Dzogchen um, tantric pra- uh, teachings and also even sutta teachings when you see the word um, in Sanskrit Prabasa or in uh, Tibetan Ozal or ozer um, English luminosity clarity that word clarity when it first comes out is a clear mind or seeing light or seeing um, beautiful visions or um, great spacious experiences. But eventually that light, that boundless light and that glory of radiance, what they really mean is the radiance of illumination. The, the radiance of illumination which is the uh, natural um, propensity to liberate sentient life at the, of the nature by which that sentient life can gradually liberate. That's a great gift. That's what it means. That's that's the act. That's what bodhisattvas train in. That's what most of you, I hope, uh, all of you will train in. And that is called the luminosity um, of, of uh, lumi- uh, bodhicitta. Yes. I have to speak up for Yes. Yes, both, uh, uh, liberating beings so they can liberate other beings. It's a, I have to watch this, you know. It's a pyramid scheme. Based on the Amway model, um, which is very successful. Uh, but if you liberate beings and give them gradual training they too will then have the skill to uh, lead beings in gradual training Um, and that's a pyramid scheme but it's a very compassionate pyramid scheme (laughs) without a corporate structure did you get that humorous but I have to watch it get a letter from Amway Amway has been very kind to this being, by the way, and very supportive. Not not because I'm part of the pyramid, but, but in terms of donations and help for programs I've done, they've been extraordinarily generous. Not for Dharma practice, but for for other programs that I've been involved in, yes. So, uh, for these and many similar reasons, this is an introduction, so he's not going to go into great detail. So, uh, for these and many similar reasons, we must meditate energetically on relative bodhicitta at the beginning if we are to achieve any meaningful results with respect to bodhicitta. Meaningful results with respect to bodhicitta. That doesn't mean you won't have meditative experiences. But they don't necessarily lead to liberation or freedom it doesn't mean that you won't do some good things but they don't necessarily lead to liberation so the entire path is a funnel It really is the entire path is a vortex funnel that gets tighter and tighter and tighter not tight uh, because it's negative but the focus gets tighter as to discerning what actually liberates and what doesn't liberate which brings great joy for someone who wishes instruction on the subject, the basic method for training is as Shantideva, the great Indian yogi, scholar, and great practitioner of compassion, of bodhicitta, said, quote, he who desires shelter quickly, shelter from the storm of wandering bewilderment, for himself and for all others, should use the sacred mystery of bodhicitta and of the practice of exchanging of oneself for others. So this practice of exchanging oneself for others uh, is considered a sacred mystery. It is quite profound, extraordinarily profound. And I'm going to repeat this over and over again because it gets forgotten so quickly, that the only thing that's standing in the way between us and full Buddhahood is grasping grasping to self and grasping to phenomena. That's it. The Buddha taught that. Every great master for thousands of years taught the same thing. Grasp to self, it's all over. Let go, it all perfectly appears. But then we need to not grasp to the nature of phenomena and see what that is. Otherwise, we still have knowledge obscuration. So this is the core of it. We're going to exchange ourselves for others because it's the quick, super-fast method of realizing bodhicitta. Mm-hmm. It's a fast, super-fast training method. And as Anto perche said when he was here last teach, teaching, he said, this is the only way for liberation. And here we go. As Jaman Control, the great uh, Awakened being of the 19th century jaman Control says here, consequently, only the method of meditation of exchanging oneself for others is expli- is explained in what follows. This next line is critical. All other methods of Buddhist liberation, of mind training, are simply elaborations of this theme. That's why this is taught everywhere. This is the base so whenever what, what he really means is uh, we're going to assume because of the nature of this text now let, let me let me back a little bit of history for you short it's assumed because of where Jamon control is writing which is in Tibet that every single practitioner of Dharma in Tibet is a Vajrayana practitioner in the sense that they have a a guru, they have a Lama, who they uh, have taken refuge with and guidance. And therefore, even if they're practicing a Mahayana text like this, they are going to be practicing uh, tantric or Vajrayana or or Mantrayana practices, which means this is the base that they need to bring about the fulfillment of those practices. Make sense? That's where he's living, and of course I'm assuming the same thing. Some of you may not be, but I pray that you will be. It is said classically in all, for the last uh, 1,200 years, you'll see it again, statement after statement after statement, maybe fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 years, that the practice of Vajrayana may look very complicated but actually it's the fastest most direct route meditating especially meditating without a teacher and meditating and reading dharma is a very slow route so it, it takes eons and eons one eon is more than the length of time of this entire universe which is about 15 billion years that's all it's all measured out so meditating without a teacher meditating without taking on the practice of bodhicitta we have direction, um, and um, is a very, very long uh, undertaking. So if you, th- if you say to yourself, oh, I will just uh, um, entertain something as pristine and simple uh, as breathing meditation, which, of, of Anapanasati, and uh, yes, you may, you may, in one lifetime, experience uh, no self, and uh, the eradication of your defilements, but very bewildered about what the nature of reality is and how to unfold other beings. So this this is very very important. I'll take a few just a few questions if there are any. I don't know if there are any. That's a very um, that's why we do this training. That's just the introduction of why we do why we practice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I expect you to I expect everybody to be asking that question for the next ten or twenty years. It's fine. It really is that word has outer, inner, secret, and transcendental meanings. It is what we're going to be studying the only thing we're going to be doing all of our life. It's going to get richer and deeper and richer and deeper. So at the most fundamental level, at the most easy way of expounding bodhicitta is the wish for enlightenment of self and others until all sentient life is liberated into the sphere of full buddhahood how's that it's a tall order when you take the bodhisattva if you take refuge in the bodhisattva commitment you are taking commitment to liberate oneself and perfect oneself in bodhisattva and wisdom activities for the welfare of all creatures, wherever they are found, to free them of bewilderment, which is what causes suffering. So bodhicitta means full Buddhahood, but it also means the activity, the wish... So here, here it is, I'll, I'll spell it. Bodhicitta is full Buddhahood. Bodhicitta is the wish to become liberated and for all sentient life. And Bodhicitta is also the activity of liberating all beings, whether they are an insect, a bird, or a human being, or a god. And there's outer, Inner, secret, and transcendental or reality mysteries about bodhicitta. None other than full Buddhahood. But its rays and its display, I'll say that again, the rays and display and manifestations of bodhicitta are various and numerous for different sentient beings of how they can experience and conceive of those rays, Sambhogakaya and Nirmanakaya rays, of natural liberative luminosity. So right now in this room, all through the universe, there are rays of luminosity uh, being emitted by fully awakened beings. but we may not actually have the perceptual capacity to catch those rays. So, as it's been said since the time of the Buddha, if a person falls over an arahat, you trip over an enlightened being, you wouldn't even know they're an enlightened being. In the same way that a person could bump into a Buddha on the street in New York and simply go, would you get out of the way? Or you're in India or in Guatemala, or you're in Africa and you bump into someone who's maybe a beggar or selling you um, fabrics, or they're a leper, or they're chopping up meat, or they're selling you dead fish that stinks, you may be actually looking at a fully enlightened being manifesting to actually come and teach you, but can't even see it. They're just a dirty, a dirty beggar. In fact, you're standing there manifesting, or the bird is manifesting. It's actually your guru right there in front of you, and no perception of it. Not even the possibility of entertaining, that that's even possible. So the rays, the luminosity of compassion is always present. We're living in a Buddha realm right now, but catching the rays, which is why um, um, I, I'm, I'm teaching, why uh, people teach, is to bring about the capacity to more and more enter into that luminosity, naturally and easily, for the sake of all sentient beings. So there, um, there's a short um, uh, description of bodhicitta. We build our capacity, we build our capacity to engage, understand, engage, and then where, where, that's a special secret, uh, uh, Dzogchen transmission, uh, to where the uh, bodhicitta, so it's more and more manifest. Did you understand? that's a it's a huge process wonderful all doing it you're all you're all doing it vital that's why you're here you're all doing it it's just a question of what capacity and to what degree so when you say last week or this week I was absolutely generous without subject object or a gift and it lasted three minutes that actually is a display of Buddha nature we need to know what it is We need to augment it. (laughs) We need to gain insight into it until we're absolutely certain that is our training and that is absolutely worthwhile. Okay? That'd be enough for today, maybe. But actually, it's only page six. So... (laughs) The actual instructions. Page seven in the text. The third section is divided into two parts: the actual explanation of the teachings of this tradition, and additional instructions from the transmission lineage. This is a very valuable text because uh, has anybody looked at the root text? Have you seen the root text that you memorize and take around with you? I hope so. <laughs> the root text doesn't actually have the transmission pith instructions. So why do we make prayers? Why do we make prayers of transmission of, of the transmission lineage? Because the texts often have words without the actual oral instructions that go with it. Make sense? It's one thing to have the book. It's another thing to actually It'd be like, it'd be like suddenly give me an example uh, And this has happened. Someone wanted at one time to give me electron microscope. It's happened many times in my life. "Would you like electron microscope?" And I go, "No. Thank you. It's very nice. I'd like to have electronics in my house, believe me, until I get the desktop one. But when I've been offered, you know, the one that comes with the high-voltage vacuum system and the 30,000-watt, 30,000-amp, you know, um, line, and, and then I'll often say, yes, if you'll provide me with the technician and usually one of the staff members to live here, and a budget to replace the filament, which can be ten or $15,000, and uh, to replace the um, entrance, wa- entrance uh, screw that's $2,000, uh, then I, and, and how to repair that, oh, and the liquid nitrogen that we need on a regular basis probably every three or four days delivered to the island. Uh, then I go, yes, wonderful, and by the way, the generator, uh, that would be a diesel generator, solely for the purpose of running that machine, Oh, and, an, and a, a construction in the basement. Because it has to be in the basement on a concrete foundation in the basement to have it and house it with an air-conditioned cooling system with no vibration at all in the house on a sixteen or $20,000 table. It's vibration free. I go, yes, I'd like that. Uh, except that something's missing. Not only do I need the instruction manual to go with it, not just the machine, but I need the training which I've received. But then when I go away for six months, or a year, I need the technician around to show me that there was a knob that I forgot to turn because now I can't get any imaging. But you know, it's that knob up on the column, the number two knob, yeah. I go, oh, okay, I forgot, yes, it's number two knob. It's like flying an airplane. So one has to do it over and over again. Right. And it turns out that some technicians are more skilled than other technicians. And you can, you can be at the machine all day long. If that technician doesn't come along, you don't get anything that day at all. So same, same analogy. So transmission lineage is the technician, the practice technician that has received oral instructions and has talked to the uh, Hitachi uh, technicians and dealers and has found out that the alignment and the... Uh, is this too esoteric maybe? and the magnets of the lenses on that particular model work in such and such a way that actually isn't in the manual and is a quirk of that particular model and you'll never get a good image if you don't do this or that or this or that. So no matter what you do, you can sit down, you can read the book, you can stare at the microscope as long as you want, you can pair a great sample, and you'll have nothing but grief for days unless someone comes by and says, You know, it's just a little, oh, right. Didn't know that. So, transmission uh, is vital. The explanation of the seven points of mind training. So, they've reduced the entire text into seven pithy points. Number one, the preliminaries, which teach the support for the Dharma. By the way, whenever we hear the word preliminary or foundation, don't think of it as lowly. Think of it as ultimately high. Contain the preliminaries is pristinely glorious dharma. Don't skip over it. Number two, the actual practice. Oh yes, that's the one I want. So what we normally do, including me, I have done this. I am, I am guilty of this. Oh, the Mahamudra section of pure formless Mahamudra is in the third chapter. And uh, the other parts are called foundations. I'm going to skip over them real quick. And um, even though my teacher said spend three days with them each, I, I think I, because I'm an entitled young person and educated, I can skip over them right away and handle it. No, you'll eventually find out that you've got to go back and spend a lot of time. So we jump to the actual practice, training in bodhicitta. Remember that, that almost all of us here, I think without exception have not gone through a traditional training so all those preliminaries which would be taught over years we now teach them in uh, a morning session not an evening session say good you got it great and we expect you to have that but actually most of that's taught over years um, slowly carefully and um, so we go oh the good stuff that's the actual practice the training of bodhicitta number three transformation of adverse conditions into the path of awakening absolutely essential number four the utilization of the practice in one's whole life not in retreat making life a retreat and Adva- that advance number five the extent of proficiency in mind training how vast mind training is how deep and rich mind training is and how what are the qualities of proficiency number six Commitments of mind training. And number seven, guidelines for mind training. So it's very full. The preliminaries which teach the support for Dharma. I'm going to spend some time with this. As to the first point the root text gives. So in your root text you'll see one line. First, train the preliminaries. That's it. And you go, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, preliminaries. Um, love, compassion, the four common foundations, and now can I get to the main practice? Except that these preliminaries are super high. Preliminaries. So the root text says, first train in the preliminaries. There are two points here. Uh, uh, Jamon Kontrol, the great. There's a reason why he was called the great, by the way. Jamon Kontrol, the great. This man was extraordinary. He collected every single lineage, not just he went to a class, but his his attainment was such that he went to teachers that held full lineages by practice and by training, received their blessing, gained the experience, gained the texts, and mastered them while even teaching three-year retreats and wrote probably the greatest compendium of all the practice texts the encyclopedia of all knowledge that was known in that day and held just about every lineage there was in tibet as a lineage holder this is the man that's writing this text that's why he was called shaman control the great he was like the teacher of the teacher of the teachers of the teachers of the teachers. There really isn't anything that he didn't write about. And it was said that it wasn't anything that he didn't master. Including a compendium that his teacher, teacher-student, they were friends, teacher-student, uh, Kenze Wangpo, uh, asked him to put together all of the reveal teachings from all the transmissions into a collection called the Rinzen Turzo, which is seven hundred and fifty initiations alone into just the um, into the treasure teaching. So this is this is coming from a man that practiced this a lot. There are two points here, a preliminary to a period of meditation and preliminary instruction. Preliminaries to a period of meditation. Timing now 10:30. Okay. First, at the beginning of every period of meditation, imagine your root guru sitting on a lotus and moon seat above your head. Okay, let's pause for a little bit and consider what that means. The word, uh, the word guru or lama. Is, means a teacher of spiritual accomplishment that not only has experience uh, in the path and in fruition but also can teach the gradual stages and has been trained to teach in a gradual uh, orderly way for, for many different types of beings. It also means uh, a being that can impart the pith instructions from their lineage and from their direct experience. The word root guru is someone who you've received genuine uh, initiation or wankur from. This is technical. The root guru is someone that is very precious because they've actually um, bestowed on you the uh, ripening empowerment, the transmission lineage, the ripening um, wangkura empowerment, and also the pith instructions. That guide you into how to become liberated. Um, so some of us have a number of different uh, root gurus. Some of us may have one. Some of us may have three or four or five or ten or fifteen. One of those root gurus will probably be, hopefully, the person. Not may not be even the person you spend a lot of time with, but will be the person that eventually reveals to you. Your innermost mind's nature. So sometimes we have a teacher that we receive a lot of mental training from. A lot of, uh, for instance, might be your preceptor for five years or ten years, who guides you in how to live and how to grow. But that may not be actually your principal root teacher. Your root teacher may be somebody you actually spend a week with. It may be someone twenty years. So, or it may be that you have five or six or twenty or thirty root teachers, root gurus. So, the root, the principal root guru, you may not have a principal root guru, so I've put up a tanka of Guru Rinpoche. In this lineage, um, Guru Rinpoche, use, uh, if you don't have a, a root guru, someone that you have absolute, unabited, un wavering confidence, faith that they impart and direct correctly what one needs, then we use the uh, image, and we still use the image, of Guru Rinpoche, uh, Padmasamava, above her head uh, as the root teacher. This is is Vajrayana. Okay, the root uh, teacher. So if you don't have a root teacher that you have confidence and faith in, then if you want to practice this way guru Rinpoche as a being of light not solid but a being of light sitting above your head sixteen and a half sixteen and one point nine three four inches above your head it's a joke but about 16 inches 18 inches above your head sitting on a lotus flower it can be a rose a blossoming lotus flower coming out of the aperture in your crown like a stalk coming out of a clear lake Uh, and on top of that lotus is a full moon disk lying flat as radiant and clear as a full moon except there is no rabbit there's no hair and there's not a blemish it's completely stainlessly clear moon Radiant and full of light, resting on a multicolored um, rainbow uh, base. And it's called a seat, and the word seat also means support. Uh, This is profound meaning. All uh, relative phenomena happen momentarily or over a long time. By the two seats. You, me, were born out of two seats. It took a male and a female, or an egg and a sperm. Occasionally, there might be some hermaphrodites in this room, that's fine. It's still the same principle. Uh, it could be, but uh, it's rare, but it can happen. Um, we require uh, two beings uh, to bring about uh, sperm and egg to form a uh, a form body, a human consciousness and form out of the union uh, of these two. All of our mental states happen the same way. That's not because there's mating happening, but it's because there is an energetic coming together of form and consciousness that gives birth to every moment of activity of our beings, this is the same principle. So we, the uh, the guru, the lama, as as this being is right now appearing to you, is appearing out of the sun and the moon. It takes an energetic base of flowering support, with a perfectly pure aspiration to have the Lama arise. So as we say in the teaching, for you to even hear the discourse or meet the teacher means you actually have a lot of merit already. Because the conjunction of the support and the conjunction of pure aspiration of the moon, the word in Sanskrit is chanda, aspiration for the moon, requires merit. You can't, you can't come to a teaching of Dharma unless you have a lot of merit. You may come to the teaching, but you'll just leave and go, that's, as someone once, actually a number of times said, oh, it's common sense, everybody knows that. And walked away. Oh yeah. Common sense. Or, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And that's the end of it. that lifetime. That's, that's, that, that's it. It would take me um, another hour, probably, to go through the profundity of Lotus and Moon, but I think that's enough. The flowering and the aspiration um, above one's head. Uh, the, the actual... You can actually have the... You can actually have the moon floating in space. Moon and, and lotus floating in space. It's actually really good to see the stem coming out of the crown of your head through a little aperture. Really good. Like a hollow tube. Made of light. The whole thing's made of light. You know, there's no experience of solid. Do you, do you know that? You know that, right? Nothing that you're experiencing right now, in any way, has any solidity whatsoever. Your experience is just light. It's just made up in your mind. You don't have any solid, solid experience. There's nothing speaking to you right now. There's just the appearance in your consciousness of something speaking. So we start from that basis of fact and reality already at the beginning is the Guru is a being of light sitting on a moon cushion of light, sitting on a variegated rainbow-pedaled lotus of light above you, which is a transparent manifestation of light. His or her body is radiant and his face is happy and smiling as regards all beings without, with non referential compassion. That means all beings uh, receive uh, full compassion. And that's partly the smiling part because it's a peaceful being, it's a peaceful uh, manifestation, it is so you get used to feeling that the authority figure is a uh, you can relate to it because they're smiling later on we we learn to relate to wrathful uh, authority figures to um, see that um, when they're powerful that you can also be happy they're half happy and half wrathful in him or her all the root and lineage gurus are present so you imagine that within their body or surrounding them is a vast cloud infinite cloud of uh, all the beings that have gone before who have practiced who studied who have devoted their lives to unfolding for us in their body around their body and that's because all of us contain lineage do you understand that? There's no we we wouldn't be here without our parents. Right? Is that correct? Without the nourishing, our parents we wouldn't be here. If we didn't have school teachers, we wouldn't gain the kinds of skills we have. Everything we do is based on the resting on thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of other human beings and creatures that have given us transmission of knowledge and understanding diseases uh, throughout our time and if we don't understand that we have no respect and I'm not talking kind of fanciful we have no respect and feel for absolutely what we rest on in the same way that someone might come to this retreat and go okay yeah it just happens here but actually we're here because a number of very bright generous intelligent people made this retreat happen and provide the support. There's people that built this uh, tent, platform. There's people that raised this tent. There's people that purchased this tent. There's people that put care and time attention. Did you see? So everything that we do from our food from farmers to truck drivers that deliver our food to people that run the boats to people that fly the airplanes to people that run government to everything we do even our health everything depends on human lines of transmission in this case we give homage we give honor we give memory we give honor we pause and we recollect that we are resting in Dharma on an unbroken lineage twenty five hundred and fifty six Years old. Sorry, fifty-nine years old. Exactly, of uh, unbroken lineage. Uh, back to the Buddha's time. Of uh, beings that have worked very, very hard, have committed their life, so we too can attain liberation. This is fact. It's not fanciful. It's not. It's. It's not. I got to be like soppy devotional. It's just lucid clarity. This is what we're resting on and when we rest in that we actually gain tremendous confidence and trust that what we're studying and what we're hearing is 2,500 years of thousands of unbroken transmissions coming together and being heard out of uh, this beings mouth and from this text so uh, very important With intense respect and devotion. Let me talk about devotion. Do you mind if I talk about devotion for a minute? Yeah. From yesterday's talk about training, this is now a, now this is a, a, a talk for for the Western mind, not because it's lower or higher. If I use the word devotion, it's very confused in the Western mind. If I say to you, and I'm not doing this to to oversimplify or find a conniving way, it's just true. If I say the word training, it's very easy, logically, clearly, honestly, to say we are all devoted to something we train because we're devoted. Does this make sense? So all day long we are devoted to ideas, we're devoted to people, we're devoted to places, we're devoted to things, we're devoted to concepts that float around in us. We're sometimes even devoted to illness, sometimes we're devoted to health. Did you follow? So it's not like we're not devotional. So, even if you're not religiously devotional, you may be utterly devoted to a life of chemistry. You might be utterly devoted to a life of science. You might be utterly devoted to a life of politics. You might be utterly uh, devoted to a life of NDP, or green, or conservative, or republican. You may be utterly devoted in your life to family, or to community, Do, do, do you follow? Or to a certain type of food or to all uh, the hummingbirds, for real, or to a certain place in the world. We are utterly devoted beings, whether we religiously devote or not, because our energies are consumed in being trusting in that which is going to make us happy. This This is so easy, logically. Is this logic? Yeah. It's reality. But it doesn't mean we're devoted, in a lucid way, to attaining Buddhahood. Hmm? So when it says the word devotion, and I'm now using classic language from texts, it doesn't mean blind devotion. It means lucid devotion based on understanding knowledge based on confidence. It is not a critical devotion of, I doubt it, first. It's a lucid devotion based because this is so heartfeltly clear. So with intense respect and devotion, we respect what these lineage holders have done for us we have devotion and trust due to lucidity and due to experience we trust through experience that this actually delivers can deliver if one works at it a being to full Buddhahood. that's where it becomes intense when the tears run down your eyes when the tears run down your face not because you're sad but you're extremely happy that you now have felt the lineage in your heart and you're full, you're full, it feels full and you know that you're being supported by um, incredible beings like Jaman Contra that they're part of your being, that they're actually part of your being this book and the transmission of Jaman Contra, how hard he worked in his life for beings is actually in your being as in your guru's being then you start to get it, and you go, please fill me with the entire lineage. Please fill me with the knowledge of the entire lineage. Please fill me with the blessings of the entire lineage. Please fill me with the understanding and realization so I, too, may be a manifestation of that lineage. This is how direct it is. So in Vajrayana, we don't, we don't just bow down and supplicate to these sources of refuge. We're doing it to become these sources of refuge as a manifestation of these sources of refuge. Is is this clear? So the word supplicate in English, if you look it up, means humble respect, not submission to the master. It means surrender of your ego views to a masterful line of transmission. Which means when it dawns, you are now wearing as an adornment, as clothing, inner and outer, the transmission lineage. Does that make sense? This, we don't want you to be a subservient actor to this tradition. We actually want you to be Jamon Control. Jamon Control wants you to be Jamon Control too. You're not gonna look like jam and Contral. You may not talk like Jamon Contral. Do you do you follow? You may not wear the robes of jam and Control, but actually the body, speech, and mind is going to manifest in some way in a similar manner as Jamon Control, but you may not be called Jamin Contral. You might be called Mike or Tom or Sue or Freda. And it might even be, if uh, this is a matter of pride, it might even be that nobody notices you on the planet that you're actually the same quality of jaman control. And they might still call you Freida. But quietly we go about our business, liberating beings. The more training one has, the greater the merit in training of dharma. Uh, the usually the greater the luminosity so sometimes one is a hidden yogi yogin, male or female and one hardly anybody knows that that person is a highly attained being until they happen to die and the rainbows are seen this happened a lot very quiet but others are trained highly trained to be manifestations of Buddha nature and are accorded that so that they can actually display that for other beings. Did you see? Yeah. hmm yes because if you don't have the training uh, to teach um, the the scope of Dharma uh, then um, it can be difficult dangerous Um, beings are difficult so it takes training Um, people are trained trained in teaching Dharma and leading beings because it's actually it can be dangerous business in fact Um, not just for the person but for the teacher when when people's egos are challenged the amount of rage that can come out greed lust rage delusion is extreme teachers have been killed for teaching Dharma literally killed poisoned killed thrown off buildings The whole, the whole works very dangerous so it has to be actually trained in, in recognizing and skillful mm. but there are people that are invisible that teach the luminosity invisibly that are extraordinary And they only teach one person their entire life, or five. So they're there, they're there. Highly practiced, highly, highly realized beings, but they may not ever, you may publicly not, there's nobody going around saying, oh, you've got to meet this person, because they have no title. They have absolutely no title. But they're highly, highly practiced. So this is where uh, uh, I uh, recite the to you the lineage prayer. I'm going to do the whole full the full text. And I think that's that's uh, it for this morning. Pretty close to 10 pages so far. Soothing the pain of faith a prayer to the mind training lineage are written by uh, Jamon control or uh, a this prayer was composed by loader thai jamming control uh, to be probably uh, somewhere probably between 1870 and uh, 1890 to be included I think actually fairly when he's fairly young to be included with the written commentary on mind training additions to this lineage were made by Kala Rinpoche Kala Rinpoche was an emanation the next emanation of Jaman control who was also one of my teachers so uh, Kala Rinpoche was considered Um, one of the greatest meditation masters uh, of the uh, 20th century so uh, i'm also very fortunate to be here before you and speaking from through his lineage as well and a a very close friend of um, namaj Rinpoche all the lineages uh, by the way aunt Rinpoche uh, my dear root guru aunt Rinpoche also received uh, these transmissions from Kalarampashe when he was a young man. So we, have, we also have that close connection of the same teacher, uh, Kalarampashe, and also 16 Karampa and so on. All the lineages of the mind-training transmission share a common genesis, or birth, in Buddha Shakyamuni. The Indian masters, including Atisha and early Kadampa teachers. Actually, I, I'm gonna have you read that. I'm just gonna read the lineage to you. If you, if you could read that on page 85. Um, and then spend some time with it, that's fine. That gives you the history. And then the, the poem that uh, Jamin Moncontroll composed. Very beautiful. And actually, the poem has profound teaching in it. So it's not just a lovely poem, but as Jean Control always did, all of his transmission poems are of the highest caliber of teaching. It's genius. glorious root guru, the precious one sitting above my head on a lotus and moon seat with your great kindness, please take care of me. Grant the mastery of enlightened form, speech, and mind. I pray to Shakyamuni Buddha or Shakyamuni and his regent Maitreya. To the noble Sangha and the learned, learned Vasubandhu. These are great Indian teachers. To Tu Sena and Gunamitra, to the, uh, the Simabhadra. Bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. So this is important because uh, the teaching is profound here. This is dismissing ego clinging. May I dismiss all ego grasping, and may I dispel all disturbing, confused emotions. We do this over and over and over again. May I attain to freedom of ego clinging, a way uh, that is free of ego clinging, and may all confusing emotional defilements be dissolved. Uh, And the ability to dismiss and dispel. I pray to Gangpal and the greater lesser Kusali, to Dharmakirti, that is um, uh, the teacher of Lord Atisha and Lord Atisha, to uh, Drumton Drom, and Potawa and Sharwa, and to the contemplative uh, uh, Chakawa. Bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. I pray to Chilbupa and Guru Ozer, to Lunding, Jangshubum, Jang and uh, Kungalsan, to Yongtan Paul and the great Pandita Dewa Paul and to Shonu, who proclaim the four teachings, bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. I pray the Bodhisattva Sonam Trakpa to Tukmi Zangpo, Yongden Lodro, and Shonu Lodro. To the great pundit, the great scholar, Yogi Shakya Chokden and to Kunga, trojup and Jetson Drilchuk. Bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. I pray to Longrik Gyatso and all-knowing Taranatha, to the two regents Rinchen Gyatso and Yeshe Gyatso, to the contemplative Yongten Gon and Gompo Paljor, Gompong Trakpa to Gompong Namjo bless me with the full development of love, compassion, bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. I pray to Singwon Norbu and Trinli Shingta, to Situ Tempa Nenje. Now, Situ Tempa Nenje was the root guru of Control. So we're now in the 19th century. The the Siddha Lodru to Karma Latong, Shempa Ozer, and Lodro Tai. So now we're into the 19th century. Bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta, and the ability to dismiss and dispel. And now, Kala Rinpoche's teachers. I pray to Kachab Dorje and Shiwa Ningpo, to Padma Wangchuk and Kenze Ozer, to Norbo Dondrup, whose experience and understanding were complete, and to all the root lineage gurus. Bless me with the full development of love, compassion, and bodhicitta. And the ability to dismiss and dispel. So now I, uh, uh, we now say something like, and to all the root lineage gurus of uh, the the uh, 14th Dalai Lama and uh, Namjol the great, glorious, uh, venerable Namjol Rinpoche, and His Eminence uh, Altur Rinpoche, and uh, all the great masters of these traditions, uh, my root gurus bless me with the full development of love compassion and bodhicitta the ability to dismiss and dispel in your form is united the compassion of buddha and his sons you are the incomparable lord of dharma with whom any relationship is meaningful my root guru you embody the life breath of this lineage i pray to you from the depths of my heart bless me with the full development of love compassion and bodhicitta and the ability to dismiss and dispel. Revulsion and renunciation form the foundation. That is, revulsion for um, the suffering states and bewilderment. Supreme pure bodhicitta and its two aspects, relative and ultimate, is a secret for never veering from the Mahayana path. Grant your blessings that bodhicitta may arise, be stabilized and grow in strength. When the confusion of the eight concerns of gain, loss, happiness, suffering, fame and notoriety, praise and blame, when all of these eight worldly concerns have been thrown over, ego clinging completely severed, not the ego, ego clinging, and genuine concern for others thoroughly developed, whatever appears can be experienced as an aid on the path of awakening. Grant your blessings that mind training may be complete. With the direct understanding that what is ultimate has no origin, cessation or duration is emptiness. Yet what is present arises from dependence and coincidence, or interdependence, like an enchantment. May I come to see everything and work naturally for the welfare of limitless sentient beings as long as samsara or bewilderment exists. There we go. Beautiful. That's plenty for today. So uh, then read the next line, which is the the um, prayer, the contemplation that one does uh, a hundred or a thousand times um, as one says the uh, as one does the Guru Yoga meditation. Very very important. So you can see this is both a Vajrayana practice and a Mahayana practice, and uh, uh, extraordinary. And so tonight uh, we'll then um, go into the details of the Guru Yoga practice and the Four Common Foundations. All right? And uh, that should be... Pretty good. Page 12. Let's share the merit. By the merit, the strength that we've gained in this last uh, one and three-quarter hours uh, and since beginning of this time. And actually, let's take it further in your own way. By all the merits uh, we have gained from the past, the present, and the future, and by all the merit we have gained from all the liberated and awakened beings from the future, may they uh, manifest quickly, and may the awakening mind manifest quickly for the sake of all sentient beings. Idante punyamang asawaki wanguatu. Idante punyamang asawaki wanguatu. Idante Asawaki ho too. May all beings be well and happy, and may all beings attain the perfect unity of wisdom and compassion, the full uh, expanse of Buddha nature. Sarimangalam, Sarimangalam, Sarimangalam.